Come on and give that hand clap offering unto the Lord this morning. Because he is worthy to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord shall be praised forever. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you know that he woke you up this morning and started you on your way? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord this evening and to worship with Tree of Life uh, Church. It is always an honor and a privilege to be here. And uh, we just arrived from uh, yesterday uh, afternoon from uh, sunny Southern California. And uh, we got here and we said, Lord, have mercy. We need Amen. But uh, we are excited. We are definitely excited to be here. Uh, when I when we packed, uh, we we had packed for, um, you know, California. We're going to spend uh, a week there. And I realized on my way to the airport that my bag was, uh, you know, was a little light. But I, you know, I said we, we were in a rush and I said, you know, that's got to be. I don't know what that is. Just just go with it. Uh, but when I, uh, towards the end of our trip there, I noticed I left all of my suits and all of my dress clothes. So, so uh, just Friday, I went to the store and, and got this, this stuff just off the rack. <laughs> so this is, what, this is exactly what I wore last night. I'm gonna say, I see, I, I got to let y'all know, because if you watch your social media and you see me in the same exact outfit, uh, and if the Lord tarries, this is probably what I'm going to be wearing tomorrow night as well. Amen. Just letting y'all know now. Amen. It is always, always a, a, a great privilege uh, to have my sons. I was uh, looking, you know how Facebook reminds you of pictures you've posted a year or two ago. And I was looking through those pictures uh, a couple years back, just two years back. And Micah was just a little kid, just two years back. And uh, sometimes I have to, uh, sometimes I... I I, I, you know, it's just shocking. The other day, you know, I was in my own home and Micah walks by me and I said, there is a grown man living in my home. Who is this kid? Uh, but I am, uh, I'm definitely excited to have them with me. Uh, today I want to go to the book of third John, third John chapter one and verse four, third John uh, it's only got one chapter, so 3 John and verse 4. And yes, 3 John is in your Bible. 3 John. And the Bible reads as so in the name of Jesus Christ. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth today I'd like to speak to you on this uh, simple subject my greatest joy 
my greatest joy. Father, we come before you here and we ask that you would talk to us through your word. For it is by your word that we are sanctified. And I pray, O oh God, that you would strengthen us, bring holiness into our lives, put uh, the word of God that is able to make us righteous and to uphold us against the day that you shall come back again for us. I pray, O oh Lord, that you put a passion in us for uh, those things that really do matter, those things that you have put placed us in this life for, and that at the end of this service, that we would renew our packs and our vows with you uh, concerning these matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated all over this building. The book of Matthew spells out for us what has been commonly called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now the Great Commission is what we should, that we should go there for and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That is the great commission. And for the most part, the church has been faithful to the first part of the great commission. See, we have evangelized most of the known world and even remote parts of the world where we feared the gospel would never reached, uh, will never reach, have been reached. Outreach efforts have been expanded through the years to include crusades and concerts and small groups, get-togethers, street services, flyer distribution, TV advertisements, radio programs, etc. And I am pleased to say that the church is baptizing people at record numbers. We are fulfilling the first part of the Great Commission. We are going to the nations. However, as impressive as going to the nations and preaching the word is, we have sadly neglected the second part of that Great Commission, which has to do with making disciples, making disciples. See, Matthew 28 and 20 tells us that we should not only baptize them, but that we should also teach them to observe all things that Jesus commanded. There are many baptisms today, but there are few that are being taught to obey Christ's commandments. This is what I call the great omission, the great omission, because God's kingdom has omitted discipleship from the great commission. Today, I would like to uh, introduce to you the group that has been omitted most from the Great Commission. Thank God that we have preached the gospel throughout the known world. The gospel has been reached, uh, has been preached from the Sahara Desert to primitive tribes living near the Amazon River in Brazil's jungles and rainforests. I've been there. The gospel is being preached there. Peruvian hills have heard the gospel be preached and in temperatures way below freezing level to Eskimos even in Alaska the gospel has reached there in the Middle East and Asia to a people sometimes antagonistic to the gospel of Jesus Christ even there the gospel has been preached 
I was uh, hearing a report just the other day that even in North Korea, where many fear that the gospel has not been uh, preached there, I heard of underground churches where people are receiving the Holy Ghost in a whisper in underground churches in secret because the gospel has even reached there. We have preached the gospel to nearly the whole earth. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a certain group that has been ignored. This group is before our eyes daily. We have omitted this group from our responsibility to disciple them and to bring them up in uh, discipleship and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is not a group found overseas. You don't need a passport to get to this group. You don't need a visa to get to this group. You don't need to take extra shots uh, to get to this group. Ladies and gentlemen, this group is called family. Family. You see, we forget sometimes that that baby that was born in our household, once he outgrows his innocence, he is not saved simply because he lives in my home and because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ or because I know how to reach the Lord through prayer and the reading of my word or because I am a minister in such and such a church. These babies are not saved simply because I have a license of a certain denomination. The word of God makes every person responsible for their sins individually regardless of what household they come from. You see, God has no grandchildren. God only has children. And if there is someone that needs to be evangelized, it is my children. If there is someone that needs to be discipled, it is my children. If there is someone that needs to be stimulated to love and good works, it is your spouse. If there is someone that needs to understand the gospel clearly, above all, it is our family. Our family. Dr. Kara Powell of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Seminary conducted a survey which only counted adults who were a part of a church or youth group when they graduated from high school. Her estimate, based on multiple surveys, was that up to 50% of young people did not stick with their faith once they were in college. Up to 50% of young people. And then Britt uh, Berner of the American Research Group, he studied only those who said they attended church every week when they were growing up but never or seldom attended today. And after more than 20,000 phone calls and interviews, he came to a shocking revelation. And that is that of those who reported that they no longer believed the Bible was true, 40% of them said that they first had doubts in middle school. 44% said that they first had their doubts in high school. And about 11% said that they first had their doubts in college. In other words, we are losing the hearts of our children in junior high school and high school. Even though we don't lose their bodies until later, we are losing their hearts in junior and middle and high school. Why is this, brothers and sisters? After God, our family should always come first. 
after God, our family should always come first. Because before there was a world to reach, there was a family. Before there was a church, there was a family. Before there was a pastor and an altar and a building and a board of directors and an usher board and musicians and small groups and singers, there was a family. Before there was a Bible, there was a family. Before there were ten commandments, there was a family. Before any of this stuff was given to us, there was a family. And many times we act as if the family should model itself after the church. But when we think this way, we are putting the cart before the horse. That's not the way that God intended the family to run. The church is not the model of the family. It is the family that is the model of the church. In an ideal and godly world, the church should run like we run our individual families at home because the Bible never addresses the family as a church. But figuratively speaking, it refers to the church over and over again as a family because the family is the church's model and not the other way around. Amen. The family is the church's model. The church is called the household of faith in Galatians 6 and 10. Why? Because of the family. In the church, we call each other brothers and sisters. Why? Because of the family. In the church, we all call God Father. Why? Because of the family. In the church, we are all called the children of God. Why? Because of the family. And we all must be born again to enter into this family. Why? because that's how you enter into a family by being born that is the family model the church is the bride of Christ why because of the family you see no matter how you slice it family will always come first the family is never modeled after the church but over and over again in the word it is the church that is modeled after the family family and the gift of parenthood comes with an immense responsibility to do everything in our power to raise our children in the Lord discipleship does not start in Sunday school discipleship starts at home it is why Paul admonished the church in Ephesus and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord we have the solemn calling of raising our children to be fully developing disciples of Jesus Christ when my firstborn son Caleb was placed in my arms for the very first time over in Honolulu Hawaii I felt the weight and the burden of raising a child whose soul would either spend eternity with Jesus or in an eternity in hell uh, and that came over me the pressure and the burden of raising a child who would either spend his eternity with God or away from God it came over me because the greatest responsibility that God has gifted to me in my ministry is not to evangelize this world and disciple this world 
world, although I take that responsibility very seriously, but the greatest responsibility that God has given to me is to disciple my own children and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is the greatest responsibility that God has gifted to me. Unless you think, lest you think I'm talking about an individual and personal call from the Lord to me alone, may I remind you that every father and every mother has been given this responsibility. To teach the next generation the word of God is the responsibility of every parent. This is not the primary responsibility of the Sunday school or the children's church or the youth group. This is my God given responsibility the church is only a secondary a complementary a supplementary help but God has gifted us with the primary responsibility to teach our children the word of God that's why the very first words that came out of my mouth when both of my boys were placed in my arms it was not hello it was not how are you or nice to meet you or I am your daddy or we're going to have a whole lot of fun. Those were not the very first words that came out of my mouth. When they were first placed in my arms, the very first words I whispered in their ears, both their ears was this, hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your strength. You shall love the Lord your God, those were the first words I whispered in the ear. And the reason I quoted them that verse is because God commanded each parent in Israel to do so. He said in the very next verse, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up and that's why tradition tells us that when those Hebrew parents when the Hebrew fathers would teach their children the Shema they would teach their children while dipping their finger in a little honey and, and anointing their little tongues with the little honey so they could taste what was sweet and they could learn how to associate what was sweet with the word of God come on the Lord our God is one Lord I need you to taste it. I need you to see it. I need you to touch it. The Lord your God is one Lord. This ought to be a way of life. This is sweet to your taste buds. The Lord your God is one Lord. Over and over again, the Bible reminds us of this immense responsibility. The immense responsibility of teaching our children his word and promulgating God's oral tradition. In Psalm 78, he said, For he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare to them... That 
to declare them to their children and that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments in Joel chapter 1 and verse 3 it simply says tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation you see it is my primary responsibility to teach my children the ways of the Lord God's first commands to mankind was not a spiritual one it was not one concerning ministry it was not one concerning the church it was one concerning the family he said be fruitful and multiply it was concerning the family because the family comes first and I cannot stress enough how this is our primary responsibility as parents this should be our daily obsession just uh, just last season I heard the general manager of the Houston Rockets say after they lost in the playoffs to the Golden State Warriors he said my daily obsession as I wake up is how to beat the Warriors I am obsessed with this I want to learn their ways I want to see their plan I need to get creative in knowing how to beat the Warriors and I thought to myself what is my obsession what is my daily obsession and I came back to this oh God give me a daily obsession to learn creative ways to teach my children the ways of the Lord give me a way to teach my boys how to rise up in the morning and give you glory give me a way to teach them how to live out their Christianity in a way that honors you this is my daily obsession this is what I wake up to every single day Charles Spurgeon said first let us begin by emphatically declaring that it is parents and fathers in particular and not the church who are given the primary responsibility for calling the next generation to hope in God the church serves as a supplementary role a supplementary role reinforcing the biblical nurture that is occurring in the home and then Jonathan Edwards also said every Christian family ought to be as it were a little church consecrated to Christ influenced and governed by his rules and family education and order are some of the chief means of grace because if these fail all other means are likely to prove ineffectual see these great men of yesteryear have come to an outstanding conclusion and that is that though the family is not the only method of discipleship it is definitely the primary method of discipleship in the family this is where discipleship ought to take place. Oh parents I know what you're saying and I am right there with you. Believe me I am right there with you. This is a messy work. This is messy work. It is sometimes so inefficient. At times it is rewarding but oh God is it so frustrating and oh God is there such a burden at times in me. At times it is outright depressing and burdensome and even exhausting oh but it is also glorious and noble and so many times we get discouraged when we get that note from school or when we get that notice from a neighbor or when somebody says something or when they come home and you catch them doing something they know they shouldn't be doing it is outright depressing sometimes am I doing enough but the Lord brought me here to tell you do not stop in your work do not 
not stop in your prayer. Do not quit on your children. It is our responsibility. I don't care how old they may be at this point. It is still your responsibility to put a little morsel of truth in their heart. It is still our responsibility. Sociologist Dr. Christian Smith, he surveyed more than 3,000 teenagers conducting 250 in-depth interviews. His conclusions echo what the Bible says. He says most teenagers and their parents may not realize it, but a lot of research in the sociology of religion suggests that the most important social influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents by their parents listen we we need to stop making excuses i don't care what's going on in washington dc i don't care what's going on in the political area and arena i don't care what's happening in hollywood and netflix and youtube and and all the social media platforms i don't care what's going on out there the greatest influence in your children's lives is not what's going on on youtube it is what's being taught to them in the home it is what you are living in your home it is how you are raising them in your home even the secular world understands this principle a Chinese proverb says one generation plants the tree and another gets the shade one generation plants the tree and the other gets the shade the kind of shade your children will enjoy tomorrow is in direct correlation to the type of trees you are planting today what kind of trees are you planting today if you're planting trees of you know holding holding grudges then that's the kind of shade your children will go, are going to live in tomorrow if you are planting the trees of carnality then you're the shade that your children will be living in tomorrow is going to be of the same sort so what kind of trees are we planting today and some of you will say well that's what we have the church for preacher that's what the children's pastor is there for that's what the youth group is there for brothers and sisters may I please respectfully let us know that we cannot continue to outsource our responsibility to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because I wouldn't hire another man to stand in their wedding I wouldn't hire another man to show up for their graduation or attend their birthday parties I wouldn't let another man teach my boys how to shave or how to drive a car or how to catch a ball or how to dress properly or how to open a door for a woman I wouldn't let another man teach my boys how to do those things so why then is it so easy for me to let others be the primary teachers of my sons in the things of God no sir it is my responsibility it is my responsibility my responsibility our text says I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth I believe here that John was referring to his spiritual children in this text, but it easily applies to biological children as well. Or any child which we have taken responsibility for, whether adopted or by any other sort. My greatest joy was John's greatest joy. To hear that my children walk in truth. 
Oh, how many parents I know of, and perhaps some even in this sanctuary, that carry the burden of children who were taught the word of God from an early age, but who no longer walk with God as adults. How many parents have to bear that cross? According to Charles Spurgeon, there is no heavier cross to carry than that one. He said no heavier cross in this world to carry than the cross of having children who were instructed in the ways of the Lord and when they were adults they left astray see the burden and anguish that a parent feels knowing that Jesus is coming back soon that any day can be my child's last day on this earth have I done enough have I said enough have I discipled enough have I taught enough oh and can I tell you it is not your responsibility to save your children you cannot go you know that that route you it's your responsibility to to teach your children to guide your children in the way that they should go at some point they're going to have to make their own decision this salvation thing is accounted to every person individually they're going to have to make their own decision oh but God give me the strength for as long as they're under my roof as long as I still have this kind of influence God I beg you give me the strength with every ounce of my being that I may influence in them enough that I may put enough word in them that someday when it is their turn to make their decision that they will choose you over and over again give me the strength oh God give me that wisdom and understanding and a burden to do everything I can to bring them up in your fear that is not an easy task it is a challenge it is a challenge I have taken head on oh but I tell you if my children lose the crown of life if my children lose the crown of life it is of little consolation that they gain MVP trophies in basketball if my children lose the crown of life then I could care less about Grammy Awards and Emmy Awards and Tony Awards. If my children lose the crown of life, then I could care less about valedictorian honors and doctorate degrees. If my children lose the crown of life. See, above all, I want my children to be saved. Above all, I want my children to see God. I want my children to see God. We all have to finish that sentence in this world. I have no greater joy than what? For some it will be I have no greater joy than my children marry into a prosperous family. For some it will be I have no greater joy than my children are model citizens in this world. And oh, that's a great joy. That is a great joy. I want my children to be great professionals someday and to make as much money as they possibly can and to give it all to the kingdom and and things that really matter in life I want my children to be model citizens I want my children to have as many degrees as they possibly can those are all great joys but that is not my greatest joy he said I have no greater joy than this to know that my children are walking in truth that my children are walking in truth I have no greater 
joy. I have no greater joy. I can tell you from experience right now, this year, this spring, I was able to baptize both of my children in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins and to hear them say that they would serve the Lord all of the days of their life. It was one of the greatest days of all of my life. This is my greatest joy. My greatest joy is this summer to get a text from my oldest son Caleb. Oh, he knows he shouldn't be on his phone after 10 o'clock at night. And so he texts me at midnight and he says, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm on the phone right now, but I just came up from prayer. And Dad, I, I got to text you about some things. I don't know, Dad. I'm losing my passion for basketball. I'm losing my passion for sports. God, Dad, at what age did you get called into the ministry? I feel like maybe God is also talking to me. I'm telling you, there is no greater joy in this world than to hear that my children are walking in truth. There is no greater joy than to see them lift their hands, speak another tongue. There is no greater joy in this world than to hear that my children walk in truth. See, when God decided to choose a nation with whom to interact with uh, th through them with the world, the Lord chose a man to be their father, Abraham. Abraham was not the kind of man that we would normally choose to lead a nation. Abraham was 75 years old. He came from an idolatrous nation and had a wife that was sterile. Why did God choose Abraham? Of all the young men who were strong, willing, educated, wealthy, and with young brides who were not sterile, why would God choose Abraham? I believe that Genesis 18 gives us the answer. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He said, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. See, the reason that God chose an elderly man with a body that was as though it were dead, according to Romans 4, it is because the Lord could trust Abraham to command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord. When God set out to look for a father of a nation, a leader of his people, a shepherd for his sheepfold, he didn't go looking in Harvard School of Business. He didn't go looking for contract closing capabilities. He did not go looking for a man with great charisma or for leadership skills or public speaking qualities. That's not what God was looking for. He looked for a man who knew how to teach his children the ways of the Lord. He said, I have known him. I know what he will do. He will teach his children in the ways of the Lord. It was a beautiful and sunny day the afternoon that I arrived into the airport of Bahia Blanca, Argentina, in Argentina, early in 2013. See, for years, an affectionate connection had been made between the church and myself 
It's the first country that I visited uh, outside of the United States to preach just at 19 years of age. I preached their national youth convention. And you don't understand, I think that they thought that I was a seasoned preacher. They didn't know that uh, this would be my first time ever preaching a meeting of this nature. And what a meeting it was. When I first came out, you know, when they first invited me, I thought maybe a little youth revival somewhere. I I said, man, I could handle that. When I came out into this arena, and there are thousands of young people everywhere, I don't know how in the world I I didn't faint. It was the only time I've been accused of turning white. (laughs) I love the people. I love their food. Their steak is absolutely to die for. Every single aspect of Argentinian culture I love, except for what they called mate, mate. Now, mate is an herbal tea rich in caffeine, and the taste of it isn't isn't so bad. Uh, But what really uh, gets to me about this drink is is that it's shared in social settings where everyone shared. They sit in a circle. If you arrive into a home, this is how they greet you. They all sit in a circle, and everyone shares uh, the same metal straw and the same hollow calabash gird. And, uh, and so, you know, they kind of uh, bring this stuff around so everyone kind of takes a sip from that same metal straw that looks kind of like a bong, if you know. <laughs> and uh, not that I would know what that looks like. But by your laughter, I know you know. <laughs> And uh, all it took for me to decline a little sip, and I knew that I was maybe being a little disrespectful, but uh, I'd rather have disrespect than death. And all it took for me to decline a sip was to see uh, who I was going to be sipping the tea from. Because the person sitting right next to me is I'm kind of looking around this circle and seeing where this tea is coming and it's coming towards me. So I looked over to my right to see who am I going to be sipping this stuff from directly. I know there's a bunch of saliva going around, but who's going to be directly before me? And uh, it was a, a very beautiful, she was maybe about 93, toothless grandma. She took a swig and then passed that gird to me so that I would engage in this liquid orgy of sorts. And immediately, I knew I could not partake. No, thank you, ma'am. I choose life. (laughs) The airport in Bahia is pretty tiny. Um... This is, uh, uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Very clean, very beautiful. Uh, However, to my surprise, uh, I was not going to be speaking in Bahia. Bahia is no Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires is a first-class city, world-class city. It looks a lot like any of the major cities in Europe. 
Uh, but I, I was, uh, Bahia's no Buenos Aires, but uh, they told me when I arrived that I was going to the countryside. The countryside. I didn't know that that was possible. I thought that I was already in the countryside. Oh my, here we go. A pickup truck arrived to deliver me to my resting place. It was one of those cars that the only advantage you have is that it gives you free massages. Uh... And uh, we started that 60-minute trip toward the motel. The more we drove, the more I realized that I would not be staying at five-star accommodations. Because buildings, buildings began to fade into the background. And after a while, so did pavement. Pavement began to fade. And then uh, after a while, even civilization began to fade into the background. And I knew civilization was fading away because I saw a wild ostrich begin to, begin to chase our car down the freeway. I'm not lying to you when I say a wild ostrich. And if you've never seen a wild ostrich run after your car, then you have not lived and your heart has never been stimulated. <clears throat> we finally arrived at, at the hotel, if you could call it that, and though there were mosquitoes the size of bats, I was pleased to have clean sheets and the tranquility offered by no Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi, ladies and gentlemen, reminded me of the 90s. And so there is no Wi-Fi, no phone service, no American channels on television, uh, and uh, it, it was harsh. That evening, I took a cab to service in the pouring rain, and uh, I had to close my eyes, mainly because I was almost positive that the next time I'd open them, I'd see Father Abraham. <laughs> the cab driver was going 85 miles per hour, in a, in a street with no pavement, pouring rain, which equals mud. It was an extremely narrow street. We could hardly fit on the street. But then I realized that it was not a one-way street by the headlights that were shining brightly into my eyes coming the other way. Uh, that's when I, I literally closed my eyes and grabbed the hold of God's amazing hand. <laughs> this street had potholes so big that they deserved their own tourist stop for their Grand Canyon ship. And when we finally arrived to the venue, I think I needed pliers to dislodge the grip that I had on one of the door handles. I can finally say that I could empathize with wives worldwide who have the unfortunate task of sitting in that dreaded passenger seat while their husbands channel their inner Indy 500 race driver. And to make matters worse, rain in the countryside where there's no pavement equals mud. So I came out of that cab and my shoe was literally buried about three inches into the mud. I had mud on my pants. I had mud on my suit jacket. I had mud on my shirt. I don't know how in the world there was mud on my shirt, but there was mud everywhere. And I asked one of the ushers if I could please, you know, get to a place where I could wipe the stuff away. But uh, we were 
were extremely late to service. That's why the cab driver had been going so fast. And uh, it was my turn to come up, so they brought me up right away with mud everywhere. I, I came right up to speak. Immediately, I was brought up to the stage. And I had a tough time that evening reading my notes while I spoke because my eyes kept tearing up. And I knew it wasn't due to emotional stimulation. And so I, I said, why am I crying while I'm, you know, I'm trying to preach a happy message and I am over here and I'm weeping. And, uh, and so at the end of the service, I explained to my host that my eyes had been tearing up the whole time. And, uh, and he looked at me and he laughed. And then he brought some of his colleagues over and he told them and told me to tell them what I had just told uh, him. And so I said, my eyes had been tearing up the whole time. And so they, they all laughed. And so I knew I was in on a joke somehow. And, uh, and so they said, well, the reason why your eyes are tearing up is because 90% of the people at this event work in the onion fields. And they have just arrived straight from work. And now I distinguish the smell in the air was the smell of raw onions. The gaseous essence of raw onions in the air that exuded from their, their clothes and their pores of these field workers had been causing my eyes to tear up. The next day, I, I fell in love with the people in this region. Everywhere I went, they made me feel like royalty. They were, there were onion fields everywhere, and I even rode around town in one of the buses that transported the workers to the fields every morning. The more I visited with the people in their very humble homes, a love for the mission field was being resurrected in me. I was a bit distracted, to be honest with you, when people would speak to me, mainly because my mind was going as fast as that as fast as the reckless cab driver was going the night before. You see, in 2013, questions were abounding about my future. I had been praying to the Lord uh, to reveal to me what my future held. Would I still be a pastor? Would I be an itinerant speaker the rest of my life? Would I be a missionary to one of these rural areas? My life is in your hands, Lord, but I, I need to know it would be nice if you gave me a little heads up as to what I'm going to be doing and if I'm even going to be in ministry. If is ministry still in the in the books for me, not very many people at that time knew what I was going through, the, uh, the little hell that I was going through in my life at the moment. Uh, let, let me give you a little background story to help you understand why these questions abounded. See, ever since I was just a, a little kid growing up in New York City, my dream was to be a pastor of a thriving church in my city. I knew since I was 10 that I would be a full-time pastor. I had been mentored in the art of pastoring. I even derailed a career in business after finishing secular school so that I could enroll in Bible school to fulfill my dream. I was instrumental in planning several churches as a youth and I even started my own church during my college years. My love for my home church in New York was strong and the plan had always been for me to take it over once my dad retired. In the meantime, I wanted to be as active in ministry as possible so uh, uh, I 
I, I, I waited patiently for the opportunity and I started traveling and evangelizing, but that was always a, a you know, somehow to get me to pastoring. I, I just wanted to pastor. That's what I knew. That's what I wanted. That's what I desired. I, I'll spare you the boring details, but that dream never became reality. Truth be told, I grew bitter. I grew resentful. I, I, depression set in many times. I saw some of my peers, and many of them were pastor's kids like I was, who grew up with me with the same aspirations as I had. And they were now enjoying the blessings that their fathers had gifted them as a spiritual inheritance. I, I saw and sometimes heard the expressions of those who knew me from adolescence and adolescence. And it was always one of disappointment as though I had so much to give as a child prodigy but wasted most of my life not accomplishing much and then add to all of this drama the fact that now I was going to face life as a single man none of those people knew at that moment what I was facing but I, I was praying so hard and wondering and, and interceding on behalf of my wife and asking the Lord please bring her back to me please bring her back to me and here I was and I was interceding and I was praying and I was crying out to the Lord. I, I was now facing the dilemma of being a full-time single father with both my children back at home. And at, back at this hotel room in the countryside of Argentina, I remember being dropped off after lunch and, and, uh, and I began to pray. I wept before the Lord. I even wondered if my sudden resurrection of affection for the international mission field was due to a miscalling to that country. I was a, a bit confused, but I kept seeking direction. After that evening service, I was burdened by a passion to know what direction God would place upon my life. But like most times before, I waited and waited without receiving a clear answer. I, I knelt beside my bed and I began to pray. It was late at night and I was crying unto the Lord, please answer me. Please, I need to know, am I going to pastor? Am I ever, what is my personal and uh, what is my full-time assignment? I want to know. And the Lord spoke to me that day. I fell asleep on that bedside as I was knelt there. And I fell asleep, and the Lord spoke to me, but he spoke to me in a dream. He said, and he got to my hotel room, and he knocked on the door. And immediately when I heard the knock on the door, I, I went to ask who it was. And when I opened the door, there he was in his white garment. Jesus was standing in front of me and he said get dressed bring your Bible I will now show you your mission field I will show you your church I will show you your assignment your permanent assignment I was so excited to finally hear this I remember putting my suit on and grabbing my Bible I wrote some notes in my Bible in the margin of the Bible about the gospel of Jesus Christ and I highlighted a couple of verses because I knew I'd be preaching to people and so I knew this was my permanent assignment this will be my church so as I stepped outside of my hotel room there was a 
big bus awaiting on me. It was that same bus that transported the onion workers to the field. I remember looking at Jesus like, all right, I was expecting a limo, but okay, this will, I guess this will have to do. I began to cry and I thought for sure that God had called me to this region with the loving people of Argentina. So I was so emotional that finally this was my mission. I remember singing missionary songs the whole time I was being transported and my heart rejoiced that I would finally get my permanent assignment in the work of the Lord. I would, all, I would finally see my church. When we arrived to the place, the bus stopped, the door opened up and the Lord uh, beckoned unto me and so I, 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 left and I left the bus and when I got out to look, I was standing in the middle of an onion field. I was standing in the middle of an onion field. I, I jumped out of the bus. Again, there was mud on my shoes and on my suit, but this time I could care less. I was about to do the work of the Lord, my permanent assignment. My heart was beating fastly and I could I quickly surveyed the onion fields looking for someone who would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, where is my church? And I began to look. There was no building at hand. There was no, there was no structure. There were no people. And, and I was a bit disappointed that God had not directed me to a crowd. And I was expecting, you know, at least three, four hundred people to show up somewhere. But no, there was no crowd anywhere. And I began to run and I began to preach. And I didn't know who I was preaching to, but I began to run and I began to scream, Hey, is there somebody I can preach the gospel to? Anybody, you are my church. Where's my church? And I was running through the onion field looking for somebody, but no one would show up. And then finally, out of the corner of my eye, I looked and there was a, a, a huge uh, white house that was uh, over in the horizon. And, 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 and I looked closely and there were two men that were working there. They were working right in front of the house. They were working the, the fields. And I looked over and I said, oh goodness, that's my church. This is my mission field. So I began to run, sprint as fast as I could towards them. And I began to scream. They could not hear me as of yet, but I began to scream, hello, excuse me, you are my church. God has called me to you. Can I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? May I please disciple you? May I please preach to you? Hello, can you hear me? And I began to run towards them. And then finally I was close enough that they could hear me as I screamed again. And I said, hello, hello, you're my church. You're my permanent assignment. And God has finally shown to me whom I'm going to pa- who I go- I'm going to pastor. Would you please allow me to preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it was then that these two men turned around to look at me. And then I looked into their face and noticed these weren't two men at all. These were my two boys, Caleb and Micah. And when I looked over to my side, the Lord was standing next to me and he pointed at them and said, that is your church. That is your personal and permanent assignment. Would you lift your hands all over this building right now? Would you lift your hands all over this building right now? Yarabo korabo sota darabo.
Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Father, we come to you as a people. I pray on behalf of the people. We have not done our best in 2018. We have failed so many times. We have tried, but we failed so many times. Would you please give us a burden? Would you please give us a vision? Would you please give us creative ways to bring our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Give us the proper words. Give us the proper understanding and behavior. Help us to learn the word for ourselves. Help us to rebuild altars in our families. Our homes are lacking spiritual renewal. We are growing in education. We are growing in entertainment. Our kids know every single celebrity out in Hollywood and every sports star and every stat. They're greater gamers than we could ever become. They're greater athletes than we could ever become. But oh God, we are lacking. We are lacking in understanding your ways and your Bible and your word. We have failed in so many other areas of life. God, we are we are so careful to make sure that they eat right and have the right nutrients. We are so careful to keep every doctor's appointment and dentist appointment. And we're so careful that we are on the board at their school. And, and oh God, but we have failed where it matters the most. And I pray corporately, oh God, that you would help us in 2019. To get a hold of this vision. That what should it profit us to gain the whole world and to lose our boys, to lose our girls, to lose our children? What should it profit us? But spirit blow from all four directions into this house right now. I pray that you would put a passion in every parent and in every uncle and in every grandfather in this house right now. I pray, oh God, that you strengthen our hands and our hearts. That we may bring these children into love and nurture of the Lord. That they would love to worship. That they would love to pray. God, make it my personal mission in 2019, God. That I'm going to bring up my children in a way that they get on fire. That they catch fire for you. Jesus, I pray, oh Lord, it's not enough for me that they are saved. I want them to be productive in your kingdom. I want them to serve the people. I want them to be ministers of light unto their neighbors and to their friends. Father, I pray that you give me the wisdom to know how to teach them appropriately the word of God. That when they grow up, they will not depend 
depart from it, O oh Lord. I pray that you would do the same for these people. I pray that we come before you every single day on behalf of them, that we learn to intercede on their behalf just as Job would sacrifice for his children on behalf of his children. God, give us that same burden that we would sacrifice before your altar for their safety and for their production, but most importantly that they walk in truth. This is our greatest joy. They would walk in truth. They will walk in the Lord. Would you just do me a favor in this house? Would you just do me a favor? Grab your family and bring them to this altar. Would you just do me that favor? Would you do me a favor and bring your children with you? Bring your spouse if they're here. Bring a nephew. Bring somebody with you and bring them to this altar right here. Let's make some packs. Let's make some vows in this house. Let us serve the Lord together. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Bring a grandchild with you. Bring somebody let no man get left behind bring somebody you can intercede on behalf of and would you pray blessings over them if you are a father of a mother of a of a household would you pray a blessing over them would you would you make the vow right now before the lord that you're going to raise these kids in the nurture and admonition of the lord let's make some room up somewhere if you can squeeze in somewhere but let's make some vows before the Lord this morning at this altar. God, we're going to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the wisdom. Give us the understanding. Help us to understand how. Help us to understand how to come before you. How to do it. How to raise them up. Lord, give us a burden. May we cry real tears, oh Lord, on behalf of our family. May we be burdened every single day on behalf of their soul. God, may we be burdened every single day to know that they're going to serve you for the rest of their lives. Lord, help us to make, oh God, be resolute in our will, oh God, that we're going to be raising them. Come on, lift your voices up as you come. Come on, intercede. Come on, Father, put a blessing upon your child. Come on, all over this house right now. Come on, Intercede on their behalf. Intercede on their behalf. the kingdom of darkness is after your family the kingdom of darkness is after your family fight back fight back we need some men and women who will fight back who will stand in the gap right now intercede on behalf of your children intercede on behalf of your brother intercede on behalf of your sister intercede on behalf of your family this is my greatest joy. This is my greatest joy. <laughs> 